Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It is my pleasure to welcome back Shane Turcott to the podcast. Welcome back, Shane. Hey, James. Great to be back. Well, it's good to have you on. It was, you know, last time I talked to you, we discussed your book, Decoding Mechanical Failures. Um, and within the last couple of weeks, we managed to, or I managed to attend your virtual course on the topic. And, you know, the question I have is the book was so insightful. <laughs> Why did you decide to create the course? Actually, um, it, it, it's actually funny because the answer is you, James. Me? Is that what, what when I, I was... When I was on that podcast, you had asked me the question of, you know, like we're talking about the book and the importance of um, examining fractures and saying like, hey, if you're doing an RCA, uh, you, you obviously you have to look at the dead body to understand what, you know, what caused the murder. Um, and then you'd ask me the question of how come, how come all the bodies that train people and certify people don't include this in their, in their training or in their, in their certification? Like how can you teach people to investigate failures and not actually, you know, at least comments that you need to be looking at the fracture part. And that's when I realized when I reheard that podcast that, you know, my in-person training that can do 16 people at a time, it will never be enough to satisfy, you know, if people start realizing they need this, uh, it will never be enough volume. And so, and so I like, it was like that epiphany where I'm like, I need to do online training and I need to make sure that if, you know, people across, you know, wake up and realize they need this training that I can at least, you know, help people do that across most of North America. Well, that is awesome. I did not know that that's what caused you to do that. So that is, that is fantastic. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you talk about something out loud, like here I am talking about like the technical side of it. And then you just have these like different perspective and bigger pictures, like that conversation and just talking about it was like, oh no, we, we need to find a way that we can, we can ramp up the training. If say organizations like SMRP and that kind of stuff come back and say, yeah, we want that. So, yeah. All right. Excellent. So that training is offered through your company, Steel Image, correct? Yes. All right, perfect. Can you tell us a little about a little bit about Steel Image and yourself before we dive into the uh, the rest of this? Yeah. So, so I am I'm a metallurgical engineer. Uh, I I am not a reliability engineer, but most of my work is supporting reliability engineering. So, when something breaks, we are you know I started Steel Image. It's a laboratory that uh, we our, our primary business is is taking broken parts and analyzing and explaining as much information as we can from that failed part. Particularly, how did it fail? What are the damage mechanisms? Was the part made correctly? And then we feed that information and, and, and lets people do their jobs, doing RCAs, understanding how people fail. Um, I've been doing this for, I started the business 12 years, but I myself have been doing failure analysis for just under 20 years now. All right, excellent. So you're taking that knowledge, you wrote the book, you have the courses to try and enable people at the site level to take care of some of these, or at least do the preliminary investigation on some of the smaller problems, the less complex problems, those sorts of things. Yeah. So, um, you know, if, so, so when I, when I started learning everything that I learned was, was apprenticeship stuff. There are no doubt, there are great books on failure analysis or great books on fracture mechanics. I, I imagine in the reliability industry, there's great books on RCAs, but I, I didn't, you know, when I was learning uh, there was, and I still to this day, I don't think there's any other books 
that teach people at the very introduction of how to examine parts. And I and I learned through like apprenticeship style, people who have been doing it for 20, 30 years, and they came, they taught me uh, one at a time. But but because of that, I don't think it was ever because there's no books or literature or courses. I don't think it was ever disseminated um, to all the different engineering groups like mechanical, reliability, maintenance, uh, civil. Um, and so I think that I am, you know, when I realized that, I think I am the first person who's actively, you know, writing books and and giving courses on that topic and trying to trying to disseminate that knowledge to other to other industries. All right, excellent. And you know, you made that shift from an in person course to virtually were there challenges in that conversion process if you will oh yeah um i i don't know about you james but i have uh, i have you know i've sat in good training online and i've sat in some very bad training online uh and and i i was really worried we put this course together because like the in-person course we literally bring in broken parts so you you know you learn on like 40 50 60 broken parts and i and i find that's really engaging um, you know, I, I felt like the fear of just going online and me, you know, showing, okay, here's where the crack starts from. Here's the features you look for, you know, with it, within a couple hours, people are pretty bored and, and their learning would drop. So, so, um, you know, some brainstorming, how, how we got around that was that we, you know, as, as you saw, we had that workbook. So we would, we would mail a workbook and in that workbook was about, is about 36, you know, fracture surfaces that, that the people get to do, right? So, Hey, we'll teach you how to, how to, you know, what to look for. Here's how you find the initiation site. Here's how you comment on the level of loading on the part. Uh, and then you get to try it. And I, I, I'm hoping, James, that you'll, you know, uh, I'd love to hear your feedback on this, but I'm hoping it makes the day go by faster. I'm hoping that people pick up more. Um, I made it so it's challenging. Like I, I'm, I'm hoping you made a few mistakes in it. So that way you're like, ah, I'll never make that mistake again. Um, but I mean, I mean, did that work for you? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So the images, one of the concerns when you said a workbook was that the images would not have been of super great quality, which would have made examining some of these things difficult, but they weren't, they were actually good images that allowed you to look at the failed surfaces and understand. There were a couple of those gotchas in there that I've made mistakes <laughs> on. And, you know, I kind of wish I did some of the stuff in pencil so I could actually erase and redraw what I thought what was the right answer that sort of thing but it definitely there were some curveballs in there some of them were pretty challenging there were a few towards the end of the day where I was struggling to make a really nail down the initiation spot or some of the surfaces um, but overall it was a great learning experience it was engaging good conversation from people as well that you know that social aspect definitely helps with the learning so I think it was a great course, and it definitely didn't feel like the uh, eight hours that were on Zoom. I, I'm really glad to hear that. Um, so, I mean, maybe people will correct me, and you've done more training than I have. Um, but I was told to make it, you know, go from really easy to, to, to rather hard. And then even if people get it wrong, people tend to learn more if they're getting, you know, if they're getting a few wrong here and there, like their mind stays sharper. Um, but it also, I think, is neat that if someone comes in entry level, and uh, I'm, I'm guessing though what you're getting wrong is like the finicky stuff, right? You know, if you look at a bolt and you, for example, get that the bolt, the bolt uh, start failed by fatigue, you get the size of like the final failure and can come in level of loading. I bet you the mistakes were just like all, oh, there was a secondary crack that started on this side or something of that sort. Um, but but in the end, that's it. Is that like you know if 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 someone if someone does it themselves and and they get it slightly wrong, and then we correct it they're not going to make that mistake again. And I, and I, I tried to throw a few in there so that people of like, you know, entry level that are taking it get a lot from it, but also people with some experience, you know, who can look at it and make up some of the basics. They're, they're not going to be disappointed either. 
Yep, absolutely. And, you know, you nailed it. It was one, I specifically remember it was one of the images where there was the main crack or main fault area. And then the secondary one, I missed the secondary one. So it was <laughs> well, the exact anyone thing takes this course, they're going to be looking for the secondary crack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, this course, it covered the basics at looking at mechanical failures, right? We're not a metallurgist or anything like that coming out of this, That's but it fine. gave us the basics to look at it. What is a mechanical failure for maybe those that didn't hear the first podcast? Yeah. So mechanical failure, it's like an umbrella. Um, it's like a family of failures. These are things that are entirely mechanical loading. So this is your, you know, your cyclic loading, your impact loading, your overload. It is not, there's no con contribution to corrosion. There's no contribution to say high temperature damage mechanisms. It's, it's entirely um, applied loading. And, and, you know, for a lot of industries, uh, like let's say if you're a rotating engineer, th this is your life. I mean, you're not you're you're probably looking, you know, ninety percent of the time at mechanical failures, or or conveyor systems, or some of the, or you know, all those problems. Um, but I, I'm also going to say too, it's a, it's a why why it's a good place to start is that of all the failure modes out there, it's the ones that you can look at and get the most amount of information from without requiring specialized equipment. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure most people realize that if they have a you know corrosion failure, they're probably going to have to have some analysis of that corrosion product. Let's see, you know, if it's if it's something more complex than just water corrosion, you're going to have to know what those corrosion agents are. Yep. But but when it comes to mechanical failures, it's the one where I, you know you can get the most amount of information from it just by examining it. And so for people in maintenance reliability, it hits two it hits two notches. It is one of the most common for many people, unless they're in you know. Uh, in the complex, you know, uh, petrochemical industry, and then two is for you know in the field triaging, getting the feel for what you're up against. It's a great place to start, and you can get lots of information from it. All right, excellent. Now, you know, I think one of the biggest benefits of the class was not just looking at those failed components. You know, trying to understand is this brittle, is this fatigue, that sort of thing, but really working to understand why. Like what triggered that, you know, was it overloaded? Was it external factors? All these other things that we kind of talked about in the class. Can you tell us the process to diagnose what caused the failures that you teach in the class? Yeah. So, um, it, let me, okay. So yeah, it's, you know, it's funny cause we, when we talk about the course, you know, most people come cause like, yeah, I want to learn how to examine fracture surfaces. But, but the trick is you need to one, be able to diagnose what that failure mode is. And then number two, you need to say, okay, now that I've diagnosed it as, say, um, you know, brittle or fatigue, what does that mean? Like, how do I use that for the remainder of my investigation? Like, the two, the two are not the same. Like, you know, if a doctor diagnoses someone as having heat stroke, they're going to have to know, here's what causes heat stroke, and here's how you don't, you know, you go inside, drink more water, maybe a bit of salt. Um, you, you have to have those same things versus if it's cancer versus the flu versus if it's, I mean, COVID would be timely. Um, and so, and so... The trick, the, the important part of the course is not just walking out of saying, hey, I can look at a fracture surface and say the crack started here and it's fatigue. It's that it's that you have to go from, okay, it, it failed by, you know, it failed by fatigue, the crack started here. I don't see any stress concentrators in the area. So now I need to know, that means that the cyclic loading was greater than the material strength. I'm going to have to investigate, you know, if that loading was too high. Uh, and it, and, and it, you know, and if the, or if the material is too weak and they have to put some thought into that, you know, the material is exactly what it should be, but the loading is higher. Is that now, is that loading expected? Is that in the high range, but expected level? Does that mean my design is not sufficiently robust or is it? No, I should never have had that loading. And therefore that's why I failed. 
But again, once you kind of start from I've diagnosed it as as fatigue, that's how it failed. It failed by fatigue. I now know my next couple of questions should be, hey, if they say the bolt failed by fatigue, well, why did the bolt fail by fatigue? Oh, I know this, the, you know, cyclic loading and, and material strength are going to be big parts of that. All right. Excellent. Now, within these, within this process, you referred to boxes as part of this process to yeah. diagnose failures. How do these boxes work for different failure types? For example, brittle. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I actually, I'm actually really proud of this. So we've taken really complex, you know, if you read books on fatigue and all these mechanical failure modes, it is really uh, not clear what you look for once you diagnose something. And so I've worked really hard and, and, you know, I've written the book, I've done in-person training, but this course is where we, we, we first launched the trial of our box system. And the boxes are really simple is that once you diagnose it as something, we now give you the box system of all the things you need to consider that cause it. And so that way, when you and your team are there discussing, okay, I've, dis- I've diagnosed something as being brittle fracture, what are all the things I need to consider? And so we, you know, we've created this series of boxes. And for if the steel is supposed to be ductile and is ductile but failed in a brittle manner, we, you know, we have, we've got four boxes. The first one is temperature. Temperature can take a ductile steel in transition. We know that as things get colder, they tend to be more brittle. Box number two is uh, rate of loading. If you slowly load something versus you impact it and hit it quickly, that you know the the faster you load it, the more likely it is to be brittle. Um, if there's any not, uh, stress concentrators in there, whether they're expected or or not supposed to be there, material flaws, weld flaws, sharper corners, um, and then lastly, the last box, of course, is material material properties. You can't ignore that. And so our box system is meant to be is create that okay. We'll teach you how to diagnose it, but then we'll also teach you what are all the things you need to consider once you diagnose it as that. And that's what we tried to make it simple. Did, did you find when you were doing it that it worked for you? Yes, it did. It provided that step-by-step, here are the things I need to ask myself when, when determining what caused this. Because um, like you said, okay, it's, it's brittle. What do I do about that? Yeah, <laughs> now, yeah now what? That's – yeah. <laughs> And that's the problem, right? So, okay, I could diagnose it's brittle, but what am I going to do? How do I know what caused it? So like you said, is it temperature? Is it material properties? Is is it these other things? Um, And having that kind of laid out made it a lot easier to diagnose, not just a failure, but what caused it. Because that's what we're ultimately trying to do is eliminate the cause of the, this failure. Yeah. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm hoping once people, like once a few people start seeing that, you know, they can diagnose it. Uh, you know, they can diagnose it. And then that diagnosis just hones the conversation. Um, because, I mean, we, we haven't talked about it, but you have the reverse option. If, say, you f- just assumed it, it failed by fatigue and then it had actually failed by brittle fracture, you're looking at very different things, right? Fatigue, you're looking for cyclic loading over long periods of time, you know, usually, you know, uh, below the yield strength. Um, but, but, but brittle, you're looking now for things like, like you know, like what was the temperature? What was the the impact loading at the time? I, I don't care about what happened, like you know, the past year. I care what happened that day, that hour, that moment it failed, and that's a completely different. Like when you're you know going to do your investigation, and then even in your material properties, if say you come back and say, hey, is was a part made properly or not, and you want to bring it to that level, the testing you would do to test for fatigue, which is strength based, and the testing you would do for for brittle, which is toughness. It's very different, and you 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 come up with 
the wrong why it failed, and then therefore you come up with the wrong solution. So yeah, you definitely need to have that how. You definitely need to then, once I get the how, I know how to continue the conversation. And that prevents your RCA and your solutions from going down the wrong path. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL blended learning for maintenance and reliability professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. Yeah, and that process with those boxes directly fits what we're trying to do with root cause analysis, right? And let's face it, how do you solve a problem if you don't understand the failure to begin with, right? Like you said, I've seen so many organizations that a bearing fails, so their solution is, well, let's just replace the bearing every so many hours, not realizing that it was due to an overload condition or something like that, right? And all that maintenance isn't going to help you. So, you know, understanding that failure and understanding that failure mode is absolutely critical to solving these problems. So with that being said, why is it people feel that reading these failures is so difficult, doing the diagnosis, understanding what drives those? Why is that so difficult? I don't think most people know that they can do it. I think that most people, you know, I I think that the, the the few people who've been doing it for the past several decades and advancing the science haven't really, you know, it's been like black box us here, us in the lab. We haven't been sharing with people that it's actually, you know, like they, it can get, it can get really hard. I'm not, I don't want to belittle that. Um, but that, you know, like some, some, some of the basics that can get you really far on, on, you know, uh, a lot of failures that it's even possible for them to learn. And so I'm, I'm hoping that podcasts like this, uh, uh, increase awareness that, yeah, it's, it's actually, it's actually not, if I, I mean, in one day, the amount of progress you can make on learning how to examine, you know, common common failure modes like your fatigue, brittle, ductile, um, I'm hoping to take that away. So, yeah, I just don't, I just don't think most people knew they could learn. And then, you know, as people become aware, it's it's going to be a tool that I don't. I, th- I think I think the day will come where people will be doing RCAs at conferences, and someone in the crowd is going to be saying, "Hey, you said that shaft failed by fatigue. Like, do you have a do you have a fracture a fracture? You know." Of, of can you show me a picture of that fatigue fracture surface? Uh, and then you're going to have a bunch of RCA, a bunch of reliability engineers debating about, hmm, is that is that did it fail because uh, there was you know bending loading from a stationary component that wasn't rotating, or is it do you think related to uh, something not straight like a coupling, you know, based upon the different fracture features? Uh, and I, I think that's going to be the day that we know that um, we've done a good job. So. That would be an interesting conversation to hear. Normally, you just hear people arguing about, oh, you got to use this technology or that technology. Now, at that level, like you're mentioning, now we're really getting to the root cause of these failures and solving these problems to begin with. And I think the confidence is going to go up. I mean, it, this is going to sound so obvious when I say this out loud, but you know, it's not. I don't think it's ingrained in the reliability uh, mantra, is that the only way you can be sure of how a part failed is examining the failed part, you know? By looking at all the data around the failed part, you're assuming that you've collected enough data to, to catch the root cause. Um, and I think that this, that's been like a, a real challenge for reliability engineers is that they haven't had you know, necessarily all the tools. They've been working with what they've got. And let's be clear, they've done an excellent job and, and, and uh, the numbers speak for themselves. But I think there's this great opportunity to include you know, one, of the, one of the large skill gaps, one of the, one of the, opportunity, uh, one of the tools that, that you know, probably should have been included a long time ago. 
Uh, and I think now it can be. Yep. Now, why do you think there is that limited information available to maintenance people on this topic? Is it, you know, you wrote the book on it, but it was it because people were trying to hoard that information. They didn't know how to share it. Um, you know, why, why was it limited? You know, I, I am not entirely sure. So I, you know, I, I wrote the book that I actually, let me take a step back. So like there, there are a lot of great books on, you know, your failure analysis, your fractography. Um, and, but when I was learning, like there was just this massive gap at the beginning where they just, you know, all these other books assume you could look at it and say it's fatigue and get all the details from it. So even in, you know, as, as a guy who spent, you know, many, many years in, you know, a tra- training and apprenticing and desperate to find that literature. Um, and that's exactly what I did all day long. I couldn't find that literature. I'm not entirely sure why people didn't make it. Um, and then when we went to make it, we had to actually create extra terms. You know, like the um, what we call the incidental factors, you know, and that kind of stuff when it comes to brittle fracture, which is part of that box system, right? Um, it just it just didn't seem like a lot of people spent a lot of time developing communication tools or uh, and such. And then lastly is that you know since I started my business, we've done like I can't remember what we're up to now. By the time we wrote the book, we were around three thousand failures. So we we just had this you know this you have to have this massive pool of failures to be able to start picking out ideal ideal ones for people to learn upon. And I think that that's one of the reasons why maybe it's it's just never existed. If you have a couple of failures a year, you're not going to probably put together the nice, you know, get a nice data set where for us, we just like, we get all the failures in the entire region. And then only then after, you know, after 10 years did we feel we were ready to start putting together a good package of, of that for people to learn upon. All right. Excellent. Now, I think this this topic here is something, you know, we have to build into the reliability or maintenance engineering curriculum at a high level, right? They're doing RCAs on a regular basis, and sometimes they're very misguided because they don't have that ability to look at these failure surfaces and determine what was it. Was it fatigue? Was it embrittlement? And so on and so forth. Um, I definitely think it's the next step in improving the outputs of RCAs within within the industry. It's only going to help. Like this won't replace the tools we're using now, but this will definitely increase the confidence. And I, I can only imagine how many times a reliability engineer has been looking at a problem, and their data, you know, whittles it down to two possibilities, and they're probably like, ah, what, what is it? Um, but they're also sometimes, uh, you know, we we joke a lot in our lab is that when someone hands us it, if we were to guess the day that we get it without looking at the part we would be guessing wrong so many times. You know what I mean? Or we, we just wouldn't quite get it. The other thing that's really important though, if say you do say it's a fatigue failure, is that things like stress concentrators are critical. Or if it's brittle, things like stress concentrators are brittle. So if you, for example, say, ah, I just, I, I'm not going to look at the part. I just assume it's fatigue because of its application. I mean, you, you really do have to say, it's not just identifying it's fatigue and being sure it's fatigue. It's being sure it's fatigue. Where did that fatigue crack start from? Is that an area that I think should be loaded or not loaded? And then what's in that area? Do I, do I have an unexpected stress concentrator? And, you know, a, a material flaw, uh, the corner wasn't machined as it should be, or it got damaged in mid-service and then introduced a stress concentrator. And that damage could be introduced again to its replacement part. Um, all those things are, are things, again, that you can't just guess. You'll just never know. And you might not, you know, if you're just trying to guess, you know, say, all the data says it's in a you know cyclic loading application. It failed. It must have failed by fatigue, and that's it. Even just 
even just the I, the concept of looking at where the crack starts from and focusing, is there a stress concentrator? Is there something wrong with the weld? Is there something that's out of spec? Is there something that's out of design? Is there damage that occurred there? Is there degradation that occurred there? Um, that's going to completely change what the root cause was, and that's going to change what the solutions might be too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when we when we don't do that, we're guessing and we're throwing darts at a dartboard hoping something works or we get an action list of 500 things when we really only need to do 20 of them maybe. And, and, and the worst part is, is that it's at the beginning of the investigation. Like it's, it's the place where like if you start going in with great assumptions, think of what, you know, maybe if it was the end, you might get away with having an assumption or two wrong. But at the beginning of the investigation, all your work is going to be based upon that. Um, so, I mean, I think it's the elephant in the room is that if, if you guess wrong, you're going to, you know, you're, you're not going to solve the problem. You're going to have repeated, you know, possibly repeated failures. That could be lots of lost production time. That could be safety issues. But, and so all, all I guess I'm advocating is that I don't think people should be guessing, especially for expensive problems, especially for safety critical. And it doesn't take that much to start building up a bit of skills to, you know, to start redu- like, to remove that guesswork. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, I was amazed. I was learning this whole process that I didn't need fancy electron microscopes. I didn't need any of that stuff. Most I could do with just my eye. And if I really needed a magnifying glass, you know, and I could do a lot with just those two basic things um, to decide, is this embrittlement? Is it fatigue and so on and so forth? Um, You don't need special tools to do a lot of this stuff. Um, does, does the teacher get any credit or is that just entirely the student that gets all the credit for that? Um, so, so yeah, so I, you know, I hate to put anyone under the illusion and this is not my intention. If you, you know, nothing will ever get more information from a broken part than a fully equipped laboratory with, with experts who do this all day long. That is, that is still going to be your creme de la creme for, you know, draw, draw a, a threshold somewhere in your safety critical or in your, you know, like loss, loss, uh, loss production. And, and, and you might, you still want to do that. However, there's, there's lots of reliability cases where they don't send to a lab for whatever reason that is. Um, and then also at the same time, there's, I think it's really important that people who are leading, leading RCAs are people who are like eyes on site deciding what to, you know, what to send to a lab or what to do next that see the parts in the field it's really important that they also have that preliminary skill, like the skills to do the basics. Um, again, of all the of all the different you know failure modes of mechanical failure, all the the plethora of corrosion, the hydrogen stuff, the uh, the wear, the the high temperature, you can you don't need specialized equipment to get a lot of the information you need for mechanical failures. And and you know by the time you throw brittle fatigue and duct all in there, you, you've covered a large a large percentage of what the failures people are fighting every day. Um, so yeah, you, you know, I, it, it's definitely the place to start and phrase a different way. When something comes into a lab, I would say for us here in the lab examining parts, the most critical phase is the visual examination. It's, 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 it's all about the, um, um, you know, what you can see with your eye, for example, you know, identifying the failure mode. Yes, we would use electron microscope to increase our confidence because no one, no one likes a lab to guess, you know, to, to, to not have that hundred percent confidence. But for example, saying things like where the crack starts from and do I see anything unusual at that crack? Yeah, that's, that's all done by eye. Maybe with a, you know, a magnifying glass or what we call a stereo microscope gives you 10, 20 times magnification. Um, most critical steps and, and people out in the field, I think, should be doing that. And if you're not going to, you know, again, please, please send to a lab if you think it's really important, safety critical. 
But if, if you're not going to, or, or you're doing lots of RCAs and leading RCAs, I think that you have to have these skills. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what do you think makes the biggest difference in being successful with the diagnosis of failures? Is it that? Ooh, you know, I, I'll answer the reverse. I know what makes it least successful. Uh, and that is uh, people, like there's, there's a lot of companies that just throw parts out. That when something breaks, they're, you know, the, the maintenance staff will just take it, replace it, and throw it out right away. Or, or if they don't throw it out, they don't preserve it. Um, the only way you're going to get useful information is if you have the part. And the better preserved it is, the more information you're going to get from it. Uh, I always joke that, you know, corrosion that occurs after failure, it's like the enemy, it's the enemy of good failure analysis. Um, so, so, yeah, I'd say that if you, even if you're not sure you want to do an investigation then or later, whether internal by your own guys have been trained how to examine parts or at a lab, just by keeping the broken parts and keeping them keeping them dry um, is going to give you all the options. And you'll, you'll you know whether you do it you know immediately a week later or months later will give you that option. Yeah, and that I'll be honest, that's one of the biggest things we end up working with our clients on is just how do you preserve the spare parts, right? How- I'll go into a lot of organizations, they'll have what they call a breakdown analysis table. And it really just becomes a junk collector. And <laughs> there's parts in various states of decay on there. They're not pres- not preserved in any which way, shape, or form. You know, it's usually in the maintenance shop. So they got well dust and grinding dust being sprayed all over them, which, you know, contaminates them. So it kind of rules that out as well. Um, but basic things, put it in a Ziploc bag, date it. You know, what machine did it come from? Basic things like that go a long way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, keep, keep, keep it dry. And if you can't keep it dry, maybe a little bit of oil, like a WD-40 or something like that. Perfect. So, Shane, what is the one action you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today around RCA, diagnosing mechanical failures, that sort of thing? I would say that I mean the the number one thing that I I think I think people have to think you know uh, a bit differently is that to understand why something failed, they first have to understand how. They, they if their first question and I, I I know I know James that you're not a big lover of the five whys and you think it's a little <laughs> rudimentary, um, but if say you know it's just an easy one I can chat about. If someone were to say like if the first question were why did it fail, that's not the right question. The first question I think has to be how did it fail. And once you identify how it failed, the conversation will not, you know, the next question or two will eventually get naturally to, okay, well, why did it fail? If how, how did the bolt fail? Ah, it failed by fatigue. Why did the bolt fail by fatigue? Okay. And then that means now, okay, we're going to like, you know, here are the few things that cause bolts to fail by fatigue. It's not, it's not installed tight enough to get the proper preload. It loses preload in service. It is overloaded. The bolt isn't strong enough. Great. I've narrowed it down to the four, but you needed to have the how. And, and I think a reasonable analogy would be a little bit morbid, though, would be, would be going to a doctor and saying, you know, why am I sick? And, and really, the first question is the doctor has to know is, is, how are you sick? What are you sick with? You know, if it's, if it's cancer, if it's the flu, if it's, if it's pregnancy, if it's um, heat stroke, if it's, if it's something that's genetic, then he'll be able to explain why you're sick. You, you must have picked up the flu from somewhere. You know, cancer. Ah, that's going to be something completely, completely different. Um, and so, you know, going back to mechanical failures, if it fails by fatigue, what causes fatigue is going to be very different than what causes brittle, than what causes, you know, all the plethora of corrosion mechanisms. What causes wear? What causes high temperature? What causes hydrogen damage? And if someone says, "Why did the part fail?" 
no, it, it's got to be, you got to first of all say, how did the part fail? Otherwise, I, I think, again, they're, they're just assuming they know how. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. If you don't understand how, then you're guessing with the whys. So now with all this being said, where can people find out more about you, the course, the book, all the other great things you have going on? Um, so I say the, the best place is probably our, my, uh, our website, um, www.steelimage.com. We've got a training page in there. Um, a few notes. We have another, uh, another, on, another training course, online training course coming in October. We are reopening to in-person training uh, starting November. Um, uh, yeah, the, the other place that they can find, if you know, everything I've talked about um, and everything in our courses is in our book. And that, that book, Decoding Mechanical Failures, is, is available on Amazon as well. All right. Excellent. Now, any other resources you want to share with our listeners? We got the book. We got the course. If they want to learn more about this stuff, more about RCA, any favorite resources? Uh, so, so LinkedIn is another place I'm, I'm pretty active on. Um, n- no memes. I don't, I don't usually show, uh, share any jokes. But I, I, do, I do have a series called Learning from Failure where I go through common, common failure modes in different industries. Uh, I, that's, that's probably pretty helpful. Um, I cater both to, you know, the maintenance reliability communities, but I also do, um, I try to simplify, you know, damage mechanisms and uh, materials degradation modes that I think people should be aware of, like your stress corrosion cracking, um, your high high temperature hydrogen attack, the ones that you will know pretty quickly if they apply to you or not. Um, I also do a lot, uh, uh, for any, for any talks that I do on LinkedIn is where I usually share, I have it, you know, have it. So like, I think I'm a part of the, uh, well, sorry, I am a part of the Lubrication Reliability Virtual Summit that's coming up in November. I just got asked to do a talk for the uh, Detroit uh, American Society of Quality for a symposium there. But these are the, it's, if, if you're not, if, if these are the kind of things that may interest you, I'd say follow me on LinkedIn because that's where I share uh, what, you know, upcoming events and a lot of other initiatives I'm working on. All right, excellent. Well, I'll put, make sure to put links to all those in the show notes so everyone can easily find it. And Shane, Definitely want to thank you for taking the time today to talk to us more about um, decoding mechanical failures. Um, you know, like I said, it was one of the be- best um, virtual courses that I've had the opportunity to attend. Learned a lot, um, found it extremely helpful, and you know, I've been telling a lot of people about it. So hopefully, they'll uh, drink the Kool Aid and uh, <laughs> learn more about it. Well, I, I, James, thank you very much. I, I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited to hear this. You say that you liked it so much. I put a lot of effort into it. So. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you. My pleasure. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.